0: Probably every person here this morning, and those listening on podcast, could name a book or two that touched or changed your life in meaningful ways. For me, a very short list would include Deeper Life in the Spirit by Hobart Freeman, Apples of Gold by Gary Sweeton, The Challenge of Jesus by N.T. Wright, and Where Do We Go from Here by Dr. Ralph Neighbor. I remember reading neighbor's book in 1991 and thinking, man, this guy's got a bad attitude. But he was speaking truth as a modern-day prophet, and I was being confronted with how little I actually cared about people outside of the walls of the church, in spite of the fact that I was a pastor. And God used that book to catalyze a major life change. He turned my self-focused life outward. Now, I certainly wouldn't posture myself as an expert. I'm still a work in progress, Um, but I I will say that I've passed the one-hour mark, the 10-hour mark, and the 100-hour mark of practice, and I might now be pressing towards my 1,000 hours. And I'm learning what I've been sharing with you the last three weeks, how to live a guilt-free, low-stress, No pressure, no hype, free from religious words, outward-focused life. And that book changed my life towards those ends. And I'm now having more fun than I've ever imagined was permissible for a Christian in sharing God's love, His mercy, and His power. Now, this morning, we're concluding our series of messages that we've called Preparing for a Summer of Fun, where we're dealing with everyday outreach for ordinary people. Uh, So far, we've unpacked some of our preconceptions about evangelism. We've learned that Jesus is not asking the world to come to the church. Rather, he's sending the church into our three worlds, to the the world where we work, where we live, and where we do life. And then we looked at Jesus' model, and we saw that he loved people because they all matter to him. We called that the love factor. And then we saw that Jesus could see the Holy Spirit at work in all people, and he urged and prodded and provoked them to take the next step on their journey towards God, and we called that the journey factor. And then we saw that Jesus touched people with tangible expressions of God's love and mercy and truth and power. We called that the kingdom factor. And then last week, we looked at the, at the fact that the largest percentage, uh, of people who come to Christ are actually influenced by a friend or a family member, uh, relative, and we called that the friendship factor. And therefore, we were encouraged to make a priority of investing in relationships with unchurched people, especially as we learn to listen and we ask sensitively timed questions. Today, we're going to be Uh, Discovering what it might actually mean for us to demonstrate God's love in practical ways by offering humble acts of kindness and service to our friends and to the larger community as well. So let's pray together. Lord, we are humbled and grateful for a brand new, beautiful day at the start of this brand new week, and we just want to say, Lord, that we love you. We're grateful for who you are and all that you've done. We pray the prayer you taught us to pray: Our Father in heaven, blessed be your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done here on the earth, even as it's done in heaven. We pray that you'd put power on your word to each one of our lives. We rejoice in the fact that you say that you're always at work. Help us, Lord, to see and understand and then cooperate with the work you're doing in our lives, in the lives of our family, our children, our extended family, and our church family as well. We welcome you here in your name. Amen. So if everyday outreach for ordinary people involves finding meaningful ways to connect with and and build relationships with unchurched people, then how do we start? It's a very reasonable question. Um, So to answer, I'd like to take a a broad brush look at the gospel of John and see what Jesus did. In John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, we read a story that I call Preventing a Catastrophe at a Wedding Reception. Jesus and his disciples were guests at a, uh, a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and these occasions were quite unlike the predictably orchestrated ceremonies today. There was lots of music and dancing and feasting for a period of time up to a week, and at this particular wedding reception, they ran out of wine due to either poor planning or thirsty guests. Jesus instructed them to fill six 30 gallon water pots used for ritualistic cleansing with water. And when they dipped out a goblet full of water and presented it to the master of ceremonies, it had turned into fine, expensive tasting wine. Now what was surprising is that the good wine was usually served first. The cheap stuff with the screw top lids, you know, came out after everyone was half cocked. And wouldn't have known any different. And I think it's interesting. Jesus didn't say, shame on you for drinking. Don't you know that you're not supposed to have such fun and such exuberance? When when did you learn it was permissible to have such fun? And heaven forbid, dancing, dancing. I mean, that's just a, a vertical expression of a horizontal desire. Shame on you. But he didn't. He blows the doors off our religious thinking. Rather, Jesus moved in miraculous power so that everyone could enjoy this joyous celebration by making sure they had enough to drink. He wanted every guest to enjoy the celebration. He was affirming the gift of love that a a man and a woman have for each other that celebrated in the sacrament of marriage. I think he was affirming family and celebration at these great times of a momentous occasion. He was uh, uh, affirming joy and and celebration. I mean, he was like blessing all these kinds of things, and so by joining in food and fun with friends, John declares at the end of this story that Jesus was displaying his glory. Hmm. This is everyday outreach for ordinary people, experiencing. Jesus and discovering who he really is in the context of a celebration at a wedding. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, the story there I call a cold one at the local watering hole. Jesus showed up at Jacob's well. Tired and thirsty, he asked a strange Samaritan woman for a cold drink of the good-tasting water that came from that centuries-old well. In the course of this conversation over water, the kingdom of God broke in and came to this woman, as well as a number of her friends to whom she quickly related the story. Jesus didn't shy away from meeting people at a local hot spot today's restaurant or pub or even a bar, sharing a drink and discussing the tough issues of life. John 6, verses 1 to 15, I like to call this, Can You Top and Believe This Fish Story? Now, the feeding of the 5,000 was arguably one of the most dramatic miracles in Christ's ministry. Jesus had spent the day teaching the multitude and healing the sick, and as the day wore on, Jesus gave his disciples the instructions to, quote, give them something to eat. Well, they replied that even if they were to buy bread, they wouldn't have near enough money uh, to, to buy supplies for that big of an audience. It would take money that they didn't have. And so then Jesus asked them, well, what resources do you have? And Andrew replied, well, we've got uh, a, a young boy here that's got a lunch of five barley loaves and two fish. Then Jesus instructed them to sit down in groups of 50 to a 100, and he thanked God for the food, looking up to heaven. You see, our prayer posture is all backwards. Jesus looked up to heaven. He didn't bow bow down. That's just a little tidbit. That's for free. Um, and then he gave it to the disciples to distribute to those people, the crowd of roughly, scholars estimate, now 15,000 people. Now, I can't imagine that Jesus actually broke off enough chunks of bread and fish himself to feed that many people. It would have taken forever. My theory is I suspect Jesus handed, after blessing, a chunk of bread and fish to each of the (laughs) twelve, who then visited the groups and for whom the food was multiplying in their very presence. But at any rate, can you imagine the uproar in the crowd? You see, now nobody had told these people how to behave in church. And so they, they, they weren't docile or quiet. I can imagine they were whistling and clapping and shouting and kids were running around and can you imagine like if that was actually happening? It would have been awesome. So you've got to pull the story off the felt board of our Sunday school teaching into the real life, like the way it probably actually happened. I imagine it was pure pandemonium when the food was there. And everyone ate until they were stuffed because there were 12 baskets left over. Talk about having fun with friends over food and Jesus being at the center of it. That's everyday outreach for ordinary people. John 12, verses 1 to 11. I call this an intimate dinner party. So just six days before his death... Jesus shared an intimate evening at the invitation of some of his best friends, Mary, Martha, the brother Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead, and Simon, one of the lepers that he'd healed. And I suspect, like at any intimate dinner party with friends, they were reclining around the table, as they did in that culture, were telling stories, maybe a joke or two, and reminiscing about how God had moved in their life. That night, Mary received a special insight into who Jesus was, and that led to her anointing Jesus' feet with expensive perfume. The point is, an intimate dinner party can provide an atmosphere where a particular understanding about who Jesus is breaks in. And then lastly, John 13, verses 1 to 17. I call this celebrating the holidays with friends and food. Now, God had instructed the nation of Israel to regularly celebrate three feasts. They were special times of, uh, of uh, Sabbath. They took a break from work, like a national holiday. And uh, for a week, the family and friends would gather together, eat special food, and they would recount the story of how God had moved in their nation's history. The Passover was one of these special celebrations that had a special significance for the Israelites, commemorated the exodus from Egypt. And so here it was now on the evening before his death that Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his closest friends and his betrayer at this national holiday. Now, time this morning doesn't allow us to visit some of the great stories of food, fun, and friends and some of the other Gospels. Stories like Matthew 9, uh, chapter, chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, where Jesus attended Matthew the tax collector's party on the evening of his calling. That was attended by fellow disreputable sinners. Those were Matthew's friends. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, Jesus had lunch with Zacchaeus, a notorious sinner, in the words of the text. Luke 7, 36 to 50, another intimate dinner party with Simon the Pharisee. And then lastly, John 21, verses 1 to 13, where Jesus ate breakfast by the sea with his friends. So what kind of insights about everyday outreach for ordinary people do these passages provide? I want to suggest two insights. The first is that we should connect with people over food and fun. You see, everybody wants good friends to do life with, right? I think we all would agree. The people we know would agree. There isn't a person who doesn't in their deep heart yearn for real, authentic friends with whom to do life. Why? Because God made us that way. He exists in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and being created in the image of God puts in each one of us a stamp of the divine to live in authentic friendship. The best moments in life are experienced with people, right? You just want to share it with them. That's by God's design. And then everybody loves to eat and party. At least most people do. You see, I think along this line. You've got to eat, right? They've got to eat, right? Well, let's just do it together. Let's involve our friends with whom we're cultivating relationship. In these settings, their hearts open up, and the things that really matter come bubbling to the surface. Quite simply, There's no better way to build friendships and develop a relationship than to share food and fun together. Now, to give you a jump start, I'm just going to suggest 25 ways to share food and fun with friends, okay? We're going to remove the barriers, every one of us, by listening to these 25 ways. Invite your friends to dinner to a local restaurant. Now, in this town, there are... Uh, enough restaurants to suit your choice of either palate or budget. We're covered either way. And you all know that my favorite is Avani's. We're heading out there after the service today. And the neat thing about Avani's is they've got sit-down fast food on a budget figured out. It's good food. It's inexpensive. And and really, at any restaurant, dinner can take as long or as short as you want, so you don't have to be worried about time. Meet at Biagi's for great dessert. Go to Lou's for a hot dog basket or Cold Stone Creamery for an ice cream cone. Share a cup of coffee or a latte at 30-30. It's really great. Invite someone to your house for a barbecue. Now, don't let dinner scare you. I know it does for many of us, but here's the thing. People aren't judging the quality of your meal, you know, to see if you stack up with Rachel Ray or, or Paula Deen. Hamburgers or chicken on the grill with a few cut-up veggies and a bag of chips and a drink is fine. That's that's fine. So uh, don't let the dinner scare you. Go to Wildlife Prairie Park or to Jubilee uh, for a picnic and pick up KFC on the way there. Attend one of our local festivals, the Peoria Art Guild Fine Art Fair at the Riverfront, this coming September or the Budweiser Illinois Blues Festival at the end of August. Buy tickets to a Chiefs baseball game in eat of the ballpark. Have a neighborhood, a class, an apartment floor, or an office potluck. Celebrate your milestone of birthday or anniversary by inviting your friends. Or celebrate your children's birthday and invite uh, the parents of their uh, your kids' friends, or their classmates, or their soccer or dance team members' parents. Go to IHOP on your birthday and get a free meal. Invite some friends over to the Super Bowl or the final round of the Masters or the World Series and serve popcorn. Here's one that Tina and I try to practice regularly. We invite our neighbors over to our back patio. Could be your porch or your deck. For dessert, You put out a few candles for ambiance, and it just, like, blows their socks off. Now, here's the secret so you don't have to fix anything. You buy a Sam's Cheesecake and keep it in the freezer. It works every time. And if that's too much, buy a, a tub of ice cream and serve with a sugar cookie, and you're good. It's nearly strawberry season, so what we like to do is just serve strawberry shortcake because you follow the recipe on the Bisquick box, and it's a piece of cake, literally, piece of cake. Shortcake, as it were. You brew some coffee or sun tea... Last summer when we did this to our new neighbors, we had some little hurdles getting in the neighborhood. You know, we found out after we built our house that we didn't put as much brick on the front as they wanted, and it was sitting too high out of the ground, and we didn't have a sprinkler system. We didn't know any of this stuff, but we kind of honked off a few of our neighbors. So we had some mending of the fences to make, and when we had them over for strawberry shortcake, uh, our neighbors right around the corner were like, man, we haven't had this much fun for a long time. And I'm like, you need to get out more, you know. <laughs> but it works. Borrow something from a neighbor so that you have an excuse to pay them back with dinner or dessert. Buy one of those outdoor fireplaces and have friends come over in the evening and roast s'mores. Go to a movie together at the rave and then hit a coffee shop for a nightcap. Go to Kelleher's or Coorie's pub and share a cold one with a coworker or friend. Host the booster club, the PTSA, or the neighborhood homeowners association meeting in your house. Do a coffee uh, or or a neighborhood or an office progressive dinner at Christmas, and then end with dessert and coffee at your house. Tina and I did this in our neighborhood this this year, and people were stunned. They'd never heard of such a thing, and all couldn't wait till this year we get to do it again. Start a supper club with three friends. Go out every quarter to the restaurant of your choice. Go to a Broadway show or a concert at the Civic Center after you've done dinner together. Go camping or hiking or fishing, attend a Cubs or Cardinals game, depending on what color you bleed, or go to a NASCAR race or the Winter National or Summer National drag races, and invite a friend to go along. And lastly, join a club that reflects your hobby. Maybe it's bowling or scrapbooking, or collecting, or bike riding, or running. Now, I have no doubt that you could come up with another 25 ideas that, that are equally or more effective, perhaps, at, at providing you an opportunity to build relationships with unchurched people. And here's my point. Let's ask the Holy Spirit for both His direction and His empowering as He turns our self-focused lives outward. And we begin to connect with unchurched people over food and fun like Jesus did. Now the second lesson that I see in that broad sweep of the gospel of John is that we should serve people in meaningful ways. You see, in some ways, talk is cheap, but caring actions that communicate God's love to people are priceless. Humble acts of kindness and generosity have the potential of impacting people for a long time. Can you imagine that no one ever forgot the, the wild, crazy day at the wedding where Jesus turned the water into wine? I mean, they were telling that story for generations. Or the wild day when the food multiplied. An act of kindness. Even in today's daily Bible reading, for those of you who are using the one-year Bible, today we're in the, we're in the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. And you know that Boaz's kindness towards Ruth and letting her glean the wheat and barley behind his crew, that act of kindness impacted your life today because it created history. The bloodline of Christ came out of that act of kindness. You realize that? That's powerful and life-changing. So today, experts estimate that it may take between 12 to 20 genuine gospel touches for a person to actually begin to move on the journey towards Christ. And an act of love or mercy or kindness is a powerful door opener or momentum builder towards Jesus. And so as the Holy Spirit leads and guides us, I suggest that we serve our friends in love in countless ways, remembering that they'll, they'll, they'll uh, remember that act of love and kindness for months, if not years, to come. Now, keep a couple of things in mind as we begin to step out, serving people in meaningful ways. Try to be aware of people's openness in seasons of special need. For instance, if they move across the city or across the country, maybe a a time of loss, a job or a pet or a broken relationship or engagement, maybe getting married or getting divorced, experiencing a death in the family, a, a, a time of celebration like having a child or a grandchild, maybe even if the nest empties. Just be sensitive because people are often more receptive to deeds of kindness in these seasons of special need. And, and secondly, start small. You know, small seeds grow into beautiful flowers or large trees. And so my point here is don't try to be heroic and save the whole planet in your first attempts at serving people in kindness and generosity. Just begin each day by asking the Holy Spirit to fill and control you and then ask him to be help you to be sensitive to his instructions And very often, I experience them as these fleeting thoughts that come and go, as if it were a butterfly landing and leaving, that I'm tempted in the moment to dismiss as, oh, that was just me. That's how the Holy Spirit will prompt me. So, what might serving others look like? Let me share just a few ways. Helping a neighbor... Like putting in a basketball pole or a mailbox or re-roofing their house or babysitting their children when they're in a jam. Offering your services, let's say as a car mechanic or an appliance repair person, painting, sewing, doing taxes, debugging computers or whatever. Offering them to your, your family or friends or neighbors for free. So just to illustrate, now I'm, I'm pretty good at landscaping. Kind of runs in my blood. I am trained that way. I offered to help my neighbor Rob in Champaign to build a patio because he was clearly clueless at building a patio. But he couldn't figure out why I would take a day off of work in 95-degree July heat, help him dig that thing out by hand, haul the sand in, tamp the sand, level the sand, and, and actually lay the bricks. Well, I had fun together. I enjoy that kind of thing. And I just looked at it one of those 20 gospel touches that Rob needed to take the next step on his journey. And I am thrilled to report that eventually Rob and his wife, Vicky came to our small group that met in our home. We were next-door neighbors. And after years of sowing deeds of kindness into their lives, they both gave their lives to Jesus, began attending the vineyard, and were enfolded into our church family. Now, certainly there were many others who had invested in Rob and Vicky's life. We were just privileged to reap the harvest after the 20th touch. And I wish I could tell you that all my relationships ended with such a heroic ending, but they don't, as I shared last week. But it is to say, it actually worked. And we remain friends to this very day, and they're very grateful for our influence in their life. Uh, A couple of other things that serving others might look like. Raking someone's leaves or edging their sidewalks, shoveling their snow or using your snowblower on their drive, watching a neighbor's apartment or house while they're away on vacation, offering to get their mail or, or mow their grass or water their houseplants, organizing your neighborhood's carpool to the local school, or becoming a room parent. They still call it that today? Where, where you serve in the schools, in the classroom of your children, or or just volunteering in, in your children's school. Take a meal to a sick friend or go visit them when they're sick in the hospital. And lastly, one of the most powerful ways that we can express caring concern is to offer to pray with the simple seven-word question, can I pray for you right now? Now, the stories we looked at in john 's Gospel show the kingdom of God coming breaking in among friends, right and so we should expect God to do the very same thing today, especially when our friends have a need and so i 'll simply tell people something like this well i 'm a follower of the Jesus of the Bible, and uh, i 'm convinced that if people if you actually meet this jesus that you 'd like him and uh, I'll say very often uh, we've seen Jesus answer our prayers for healing or encouragement, but but certainly not always. And I'm wondering, can I pray for you right now? Now, you you have to realize that if you just ask them, can I pray for you, they'll think you mean like tonight when you go home and kneel down by your bed and say, your now I lay me down to sleep prayer. So you've got to always add, can I pray for you right now? That changes the landscape of everything. Some will politely or impolitely refuse, but the majority of people will actually allow you to pray for them. They'll agree because we all need all the help we can get, right? And so then I'll just say, well, can I place my hand upon your shoulder? And most of the time they're like, well, oh, yeah. And so you, you lay your hands on their shoulder and then you quickly pray by by using as few religious words as possible. And so I'll just model it. I may lay my hand on Tina after she's expressed to me like a really frustrating day at work. And I'll say, so it sounds like you're bit, like really frustrated. You have a really frustrated day at work. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, can I pray for you right now? And she says, sure. So, so I'll, I'll just say, I'll lay my hand, up, I said, can I lay my hand upon your shoulder? And she'll say, yeah. So I'll, <laughs> I'll lay my hand upon her shoulder and I'll say, Jesus, Tina had a really frustrating day at work. And I just ask that you'd come right now to bring the encouragement, and power of your kingdom to bless and encourage her in your name. Thank you. Amen. And that's it. And then you trust that God in his sovereignty breaks in with the power of his kingdom, and they leave being touched by an expression of God's love. So there you go. Uh, Just a, a few of the hundreds of ways that we can serve people in meaningful ways through simple, humble acts of kindness. Now, it's not just to people with whom we're cultivating relationship that we're called to serve, but if we take our cues from Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, we want to become good neighbors to our communities as well. We want to bless them by sharing God's love in practical ways too. And in the vineyard, we just call this kindness outreach. We want to come become good friends We want to become those fountains of love and joy and real life and blessing that we've been talking about for the last three weeks. And our conviction is that small deeds done with great love have the potential to change the world. Now, we understand that no one event is going to change our cities, but we're deeply convicted that over the next 10 years, we can make a huge difference as God sprinkles us like salt over the communities in which we live and work and play. We become good neighbors to our town. So every month, our church family organizes a kindness outreach of some kind on Saturday mornings. I encourage you to watch for it in your program. You come with a friend or maybe your small group. Uh, the, many of them are kid-friendly because we want to model for our children an everyday lifestyle of sharing God's love. And so, like in your program uh, or in and the Get Connected card, this coming Saturday, for instance, we we are going to serve our city at the Komen Race for the Cure, and uh, we we have committed to f- having four men and six ladies. The men serving at checkpoints and the ladies distributing information. And if you'd like to be a part of that team, indicate so on your Get Connected card in the program today. Uh, we're going to serve. And you also notice in your program that next uh, next Saturday, uh, the twelfth. In Morton, the Morton area, we're going to just distribute free light bulbs. And we meet up at 1215 at the at the parking lot of the Apostolic Christian Church, because everybody knows where that is. And then we reach out by going into those neighborhoods, distributing God's love through a practical act of giving away free light bulbs. But just watch the program. We're, these organized activities are so that we, you know, you don't all kind of think through the logistics. We we organize them and then go out together. And we'd love to have you join us in this exciting adventure of of living an outward-focused life. Now, since we've arrived here in Peoria, I'll just describe, we've handed out free water bottles at various places, including the public library right over here behind uh, Menards. We've distributed free light bulbs in a number of neighborhoods, Richwoods, Knolls, Rolling Acres, Columbia Terrace. Last fall, around daylight savings time, we gave away free 9-volt batteries for people's smoke detectors as a way of just blessing the community. That was really a lot of fun. We've washed vehicle windows for free at the HUCs and the BP gas stations right here, literally in our neighborhood. We distributed Easter eggs at a local apartment complex, and we've done trash pickup. Coming this summer, uh, we, we'd like to capitalize on the opportunity on July 3rd fireworks at Glen Oak Park by distributing free water bottles, because it's just a madhouse down there. So we thought, what a great opportunity. Uh, we're joining up with Southside Mission and, and their extending of God's love in the 61605 a zip code. And we are especially looking forward to partnering with them this Thanksgiving and Christmas as a way of ministering to those that are underprivileged. Uh, I'd like to distribute donuts on Christmas Eve for the poor souls that have to work that night. So in the past, in our, in our church in Urbana, we provided free hot chocolate in the parks in the fall, welcome care packets to people moving into apartments. We distributed candy at the 4th of July parade. Others of us picked up the horse poop after the 4th of July parade. Um, We fed expired parking meters with with quarters. We fed washing machines and dryers at local laundromats for people in a surprising way. We distributed hot dogs for free in the Menards parking lot. And here's one of the most powerful that my wife and I have experienced. In in the last five years, we've done what we call a reverse garage sale, where we give our stuff away for free. Now, please understand, this is no criticism of any of you who have ever had a regular garage sale. Not at all. God bless you. But we felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to just give our stuff away. And so what we did, we took out an ad in the newspaper, and I took a four-by-eight sign, piece of plywood, and painted on it, free stuff, no kidding. We said, everything on the driveway is for free. And it blew people away. Like, like it generated all kinds of questions. Like, dude, you need to be selling this stuff. This is good stuff, you know, like why are you doing this? What are you you doing? And we just said, you know, God's blessed us and we just want to bless you. And we had lots of opportunities to interact with people and with tears coming down their faces because they couldn't believe, starting over the new life, recently divorced, you know, estranged from their family or moving here from another country and having to establish their own home. Powerful, powerful stories as, as we watched the kingdom come to people through small deeds of kindness. Now we're preparing to, to help my parents do one of these because it's a whole new deal to them. But they have a basement full of stuff, like, you know, like 60 years of, of marriage stuff. And so we're just can't, we can't wait till, till the first of June when, when we could do a free garage sale at my parents house. My mom said, I'm not doing that. And I said, we're not asking you to do it. We're going to do it for you. You just get to watch. And she's like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> so We can't wait. So now we do these acts of love and service in Christ's name. With no catch. We just say, you know what? We're sharing God's love in a practical way. No strings attached. No canned speeches. No gospel presentations. No having to know all the right theological answers to people's complicated lives. We just tell people, God loves you and he hasn't forgotten about you. And you'd be surprised how, how much that powerfully touches people. And when they ask, well, who are you and, and what group are you with? We just say, we're just followers of Jesus. And then they usually, some will continue to press. They'll they'll want to know, no, what church group are you with? And we'll say, we're just with a, you know, a new church in town. And then under duress, we may actually tell them where we're with the vineyard. Because see, our goal isn't necessarily to get people to come to our church. Now we may actually then engage in a conversation and that conversation may lead to a deeper discussion or maybe even an opportunity for prayer. Just a month ago, Bill and I were at the Huck station right down the road. It was a it was a brisk Saturday morning and uh we ended up talking with Steve and Steve wondered what we were doing and asked a lot of follow-up questions and before he got back to his car at the pump, he asked Bill and I if we would pray a prayer of blessing over him and his family who were with him in the car. I'm like, "Sure. That's awesome." So Bill and I prayed a prayer blessing over the guy named Steve. Now, this isn't just a creative marketing strategy. We're bringing the love and the mercy and the power and kindness of God and His kingdom to the earth, right where we work and live and play and go to school. We're doing what we do for free. We're not asking anybody to do anything in return. We aren't even trying to get them to come to the vineyard, although we would rejoice, certainly, if they ended up coming. We're not not doing it to persuade people to believe in Jesus, although we do believe that he'll speak powerfully through our deeds of kindness. These acts are simply a radical way of sharing God's extravagant love in in a practical way. So just imagine, friends, if God used what we've now discovered in these last four weeks together to touch or to change our lives in a meaningful way, perhaps in a similar manner as he's used a book to change yours. What if our new normal became a guilt-free, low-stress, no-pressure, no-hype, free-from-religious-words way of living an outward-focused life? That's my hope and prayer for every one of you as we prepare for a summer of fun. And I see each one of you as fully capable, because of God's indwelling presence, to touch one person a day with the love of God. And I did a little math this week. That would mean roughly about 700 touches of the gospel of God's love in our communities per week. Now multiply that impact by a month, you have 21,000 touches of God's love. That's a quarter of a million touches through Peoria, Woodford, Tazewell, Stark, and Marshall County. That's a lot of love. We'll grow to become the people he's destined us to be, and our communities will be impacted with the love and mercy and truth and power of God. Lord, could we become those people? I believe we can because it's your invitation and it's your model. And so I pray for your power to come on all of us as we grow to become the disciples that you destined us to be. Answer the cry of our hearts to be men, women, and children who make an impact for the sake of your kingdom. And now, Lord, as we continue our worship through song and giving of of our gifts to you, we pray that you'd receive them for what they are, tokens that mean we love you. Put your blessing, Lord, on all of us as we surrender these gifts up to you in your name. Amen.